Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a good week. Really, really miss everybody. Can't wait till we can uh, gather together again. I know we've said it a lot, but uh, it's, it's getting closer every single day. And uh, God willing, we will meet in person again. But when we do, you guys better show up, okay? Uh, because we're going to make sure everything's clean and sanitized and all that. So when we do open up, we don't know when as of right now, but when we do, uh, you guys need to show up. And I hope today you showed up wherever you're at, living rooms, bedrooms, beds, Wherever you're at, I hope you showed up to online church ready to receive God's word because I have a word for you today that I believe is going to bless you. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, We are in I Got the Joy Part 6. My subtitle today is Serving Christ with Joy. And uh, our text for today is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 30. I want to ask you a question. Do you have a servant's heart? Do you consider yourself a servant? Is your heart to serve others? Most people I know who are Christ followers would say yes to those questions and say, absolutely, I'm a servant of the Lord. I have a servant's heart. I'm a servant leader. They would say yes to those questions. But an easy way to tell if you actually have a servant's heart is how you act when you're actually treated like one. How do you act when you're treated like a servant? The response of your heart will reveal whether you truly have a servant's heart or not. What's your heart's response when someone asks you to do something that you consider is beneath your pay grade? What's your heart's response when you work hard and you're sweating it up to clean the house, you get all the dishes done, you're tidying and making sure everything is spick and span, everything is smelling great, and your spouse walks in the door from work, they don't say anything about how the house looks, they don't say anything about how the house smells, they just sit down, plop down on the couch and turn on the TV. What's your heart's response when that happens? The truest way to tell whether you have a servant's heart is how you act when you're treated like one. Our text for today is Philippians chapter 2, like I said, verses 17 through 30. And in this passage, we find three examples of what it means to serve Christ with joy. These examples come from the life of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. So let's jump right in. We're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And it says this, Yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. This is the Apostle Paul talking about himself in these two verses. And he's talking about himself being poured out as a drink offering for the Philippian believers. Paul here shows us that serving Christ with joy means sacrificing for Christ. In ancient Jewish sacrificial ceremonies, the priest would pour out wine or water on the animal as it was being sacrificed on the altar. 
Paul here was saying that just as wine or water is poured out as an offering to God, he will rejoice at the opportunity to be poured out for the sake of service to others. Just as Christ emptied himself of his God privilege to enter humanity and die on the cross, Philippians 2, 7, Paul is saying that we are to empty ourselves for the sake of others as well. Just as Jesus modeled to us, we are to pour ourselves out. We are to empty ourselves for the sake of others. Hear this, church. The joy of Jesus comes through serving and sacrificing for others. That's how the joy of Jesus enters into our lives. When was the last time you rejoiced at the opportunity to sacrifice something of value to yourself for someone else? I'm not saying when was the last time you sacrificed for someone else. I'm asking when was the last time you rejoiced because you sacrificed something of value for someone else? The reason many believers don't experience true joy in their lives is because they're living to gratify their own desires. They don't ever think of anyone else. It's all about themselves. Just like the world, their highest priority is their personal rights and personal self-expression. As Christians, we are a part of an upside-down kingdom. Okay? And in this kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In this kingdom, those that want to be the greatest must make themselves the least. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you will gain it. In order to become the greatest in the kingdom, you have to become the servant of all. That's what the upside down kingdom of Jesus is all about. Not only was Paul willing to sacrifice for the sake of these beloved friends in his church or in the Philippian church, but he did it with joy and told them to do the same for one another. It's one thing to sacrifice for God and others, but it's an entirely different thing to do it with joy and gladness and rejoicing and with a cheerful heart. Some people want recognition for all of the sacrifices. Look at all I've given up. Uh, notice me, recognize me, praise me, appreciate me. Others, they view their sacrifice as a huge burden and annoyance. Uh, like I had the perfect life until God had to come and ruin it all. And now I, had to get, now I have to give everything up for him. It is what it is. And they want pity and they want, and, 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 and all of their sacrifice and all the things that they've given up for the sake of the gospel. It's, it's really a burden and an annoyance to them. But Paul viewed being poured out as a drink offering as a catalyst for joy and rejoicing and gladness. Paul considered the sacrifices he made for Christ his greatest honor and privilege in this life. He didn't consider those sacrifices a burden. He didn't consider it an annoyance. He didn't, he didn't need recognition and approval for what he did. He considered everything that he gave up for Christ his greatest honor, and his greatest privilege. How dare we be annoyed with God for the sacrifices we make for him? How dare we think we're doing God a favor because he somehow needs our help? Any sacrifice we make for Christ is our greatest honor in this life. When God is our source of joy, whether what he's asking us to do is glorious or sacrificial, 
will do it with joy. And there is a joy that you can only experience through sacrificing for the Lord. There is a joy that you will only be able to encounter when you give something up for the sake of your Lord and Savior. Let's continue on in Philippians chapter 2. We're in verse 19 now. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things... But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come, shall also come shortly. We are now introduced to the second example of what it means to serve Christ with joy. Timothy shows us that serving Christ with joy means being fat. Okay, no, I'm not talking about my quarantine 19 that I put on since the start of this pandemic. This is actually an acronym. The word fat is an acronym that I'm going to use. Timothy was fat, meaning he was faithful, available, and teachable. Qualities that all servants of Jesus need to have. Okay, Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey, and that's probably when he got saved. Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. While on his second missionary journey, Paul enlisted Timothy to join him. And from that moment on, Timothy became like a son in the faith to to Paul. and, And he was Paul's apprentice. How heartbreaking that Paul says that there is no one like minded who will care for you besides Timothy. How heartbreaking that Paul had to say that. In the NASB, it says, no one of kindred spirit. The message says there was no one loyal. The NIV says that there is no one else like him. There was no one at this time that Paul could send to the Philippians that he could trust besides Timothy. There was no one that was loyal and of kindred spirit who was like-minded and care for these precious, precious believers that Paul loved so much. Someone who would genuinely care for them. Someone who wasn't simply trying to get a bigger platform for greater influence and recognition. There was no one Paul could send that wasn't full of themselves. That wasn't all about their own selfish ambitions and dreams and desires. He says in verse 21, For all seek their own. For all seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But Timothy was different. There was no one in Paul's life and ministry quite like Timothy. That's the struggle of ministry and trying to further the gospel. For me and Pastor Priscilla, it's hard to find people who carry our heart and vision and put Christ first in their lives. It's hard to find people who genuinely care for the welfare of the folks who call the Grace Place NYC home. And and this is not a unique struggle to us. Even Jesus said in Matthew 9, 38, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So call upon the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the fields. There are people who come to our church or find us online and email me and they'll ask, what's in it for me? What can your church offer me? What can your church do 
for me. That's one of the reasons it's been difficult to gain momentum because what we have to offer is hard work, sacrifice with little outward results. But God is at work in our church, okay? God is at work in the lives of our people. There are so many people in our church that God has done miraculous and supernatural things in their lives. He's changed them and He's transformed them and He's given them a new nature. Before they came to Christ, they were in a pit. They were in a ditch and Christ literally went down into the pit and into the ditch, grabbed them by their hand and lifted them out of that. And now they're serving Jesus and they're using their gifts to glorify God and serve others. We, we need to give glory to Jesus for that, my friends. It's hard to find people who genuinely care and put Christ first above their own interests. But we're so blessed in our church that we do have some Timothys. And we're so grateful for those Timothys that God has surrounded us with and brought into our lives. But we need more. We need more Timothys, okay? We need more sons and daughters in the faith that will genuinely care for the people in our church, that will genuinely care that the gospel is, is, is furthered and the kingdom of God is furthered in our city. We need more, not for Priscilla and me but for the sake of the gospel advancing in Hamilton Heights in New York City. Timothy was fat. He was faithful. Verse 22 says, But you know his proven character. Paul vouched for Timothy's character. Paul is saying about his spiritual son Timothy, I know this man inside and out. He is a man of character. He is a man that puts Christ first in his Life. He is a man that cares deeply. He is a man that does not walk according to selfish ambition. He was vouching for his character. Have you ever had someone vouch for you before? Uh, I remember when I was in Bible school, we had a great move of God uh, in one of our uh, prayer services or one of our services. And I remember during that service, I got slain in the spirit. God's power just, uh, just supernaturally just touched my life and, and, and I fell down in the spirit. And uh, I remember um, that, that I made it back to my dorm room somehow. I don't really know how, uh, but it was right next door. So I was in my dorm room, but I was on my bed and I was still kind of out of it. And, uh, you know, those of you with the Pentecostal background, you know that things can, can sometimes get a little wild and eccentric and over-emotional in some of these services. Uh, it, it can sometimes feel manufactured or hyped. But this was a genuine move of God that I was experiencing. I was on my bed, kind of out of it. And I, but I could still hear people talking. And as I was laying in my bed, I overheard some of my classmates who were skeptical of everything that was going on. And, they, and, they, and I heard them talking and they said, man, if Steve is experiencing this, it's got to be real because I know he wouldn't fake it. I know Steve, I know his character, and I know he would not make something up just to get attention. Now, that might not mean much to you, but that meant the world to me because they were saying I had integrity and I would not make up something just to get attention. They were vouching for my character. In the same way, Paul is vouching for Timothy to the Philippian church. Uh, not only was Timothy faithful, but he was also available. Verse 23a says, Therefore, I hope to send him at once. Timothy was not only a faithful servant, 
He was also available to go check on the Philippian believers and minister to their needs. God doesn't use the most talented people. He uses people who are available. Your talent means nothing if you're unavailable. You can have all the talent, all the gifts in the world, but if you're unavailable, God can't use you. Are you available to be used by God or are you too busy with your own stuff? Have the cares of the world choked out your availability? How many times have you been asked to do something and declined because of fear, mismanaged time, or simply a lack of passion? There are certain people in my life who have more access to my time. I spend more time mentoring. I spend more time building relationship with certain people in my life. But it's not because they're more special than, than anyone else. It's not because they're 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 more fun or they have a better personality. It's simply because they're available. Some people say they want a relationship or mentoring, but they're hardly available. So every time you, you want to meet, they say, oh, I can't make it. Oh, I can't, I can't make it this time or I can't make it that time. Or, I'm so sorry. I won't do this again. And, and, and that's how that, that relationships and mentoring relationships, they're built through time. You have to be available. Timothy was ready for Paul to call on him. So Timothy was faithful, he was available, and he was also teachable. Verse 22b says, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul considers Timothy a spiritual son in the faith. I know from experience that this is a very close bond. I look at my relationship I have with Pastor Benson, who I consider my spiritual father. We have a very special relationship and I love and care for him deeply. He's poured so much into my life and I've learned so much from him and for that I am grateful. When I was his youth pastor, I would regularly go to his office and ask him questions when I was dealing with an issue in ministry. When I was having an issue in my marriage, I would ask him questions and I would ask him how I should deal with it. And now our relationship is at the place where he feels comfortable excuse me, where he feels comfortable opening up to me about some of the things he's going through. He, he, he's poured so a lot of money and support into our church plant the last five years, and this is because of relationship. It's because of that father-son relationship that we have. We are serving together in the gospel. Now, let's continue reading and look at the example of Epaphroditus, and uh, we're going to be... Uh, we're, we're at verse 25 in, in, in chapter 2 now. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Epaphroditus shows us that serving Christ with joy means serving Christ despite the risks involved. 
Living by faith and doing the work of Christ always involves risk because we can't see the end from the beginning like God can. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And, when, and that requires a deep, deep level of trust, especially when things start to get difficult in our lives. You can tell Paul looked highly upon Epaphroditus based on the way he described him. My brother, there was an intimacy and deep relationship between them. Fellow worker, he considered him a co-laborer in Christ. They were on the same team. Fellow soldier, they were in battle against the enemy together. A messenger, he was sent by the Philippian church to deliver an offering to Paul. And a minister, he was sent by the church to minister to the needs of the great apostle. We see from verse 30 that Epaphroditus almost died doing the work of Christ. He got really sick on his way from Philippi to Rome where Paul was in prison. And Paul tells us that he almost died from whatever sickness that he had. Maybe it was the coronavirus. Uh, I don't know, but he almost, he almost died that he got so sick in this journey. And I'm not trying to compare myself to Epaphroditus in any way, but this kind of reminds me of when I was going through chemotherapy in the fall of 2016 and how it was so much more difficult on my body than it should have been for a healthy, uh, a healthy male in his mid-30s. I was re-diagnosed with cancer uh, less than three months before the launch of our church. And we decided that with the help of God and a few of our core team members, we were going to continue to start the church despite my cancer treatments. And I and we did. We also made this decision because we, we were we were thinking that although chemotherapy is what it is and it's difficult and it and it's hard, you know, we were under the impression that it, after the first week or so after my week of treatments in each round that I was going to start getting better, which which never which never happened. And I had several life-threatening complications and life-threatening episodes, but I think the one that was the worst was one of the times when my body was shutting down because my body was so low of magnesium. And uh, by God's grace, it, it really, it, it happened. The worst of it happened while I was at my doctor's appointment and my body started shutting down and I was taken back into one of the rooms and they were strapping an EKG up to me and I had never felt uh, what I was feeling in this moment. Um, I was, you know, my legs were, uh, I was starting to lose feeling in my legs and movement in my legs at that time. My, I, was, I had this crazy tingly feeling all over, like really strong in my chest and all over my body. And I remember looking over at my doctor as he was strapping the EKG to me and I was looking over and I literally said, am I, am I dying? And he looked back at me and he didn't say anything. Like that's not a good sign when you ask if you're dying and your doctor doesn't say anything and he keeps doing what he's doing. It didn't give me a lot of confidence, but by the grace of God, I got through that season of my life. And right now I'm standing before you cancer free. Thank you, Jesus. It was only the grace of God and great doctors that, that I'm through this and, and my wonderful wife uh, that, 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 you know, helped surround me throughout that. Uh, but looking back, I wonder if the unexpected difficulties during my treatment could have been related to the stress I was feeling 
about starting the church at the same time. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. The doctors don't really understand what the reason is. And we don't know much about Epaphroditus, but he was probably a Gentile believer, meaning a a non-Jew. He was a member of the Philippian church, and he had risked his health and life to carry their missionary offering to the Apostle Paul in Rome, as we read about in Philippians 4 and verse 18. This story about Epaphroditus reminds me of Willie, Martine, and Nora risking their health when the coronavirus was still bad in New York City to deliver groceries to needy families in our neighborhood. They knew the risks involved, but chose to help despite the risk. They had a heart to help those in need, and they went out. When, when New York City was still the epicenter of the virus, they went out and, and, and they went into these apartment buildings and they brought groceries and, and necessities to these families that were in need and couldn't get out or they had the virus themselves and they were too sick to get out or, or they had run out of money because they had lost their jobs. We honor you for doing that. Just as Paul tells the Philippian church to honor and esteem Epaphroditus when he gets back to them because he risked his life for the sake of the gospel. I know from talking to them that it brought so much joy to Willie, Martine, and Nora to be able to help those in need, even though there was a lot of risk involved. God pours into us joy when we walk by faith and trust Him, especially when there's a lot of risk involved. What's interesting about Epaphroditus is that according to verse 26, even though he was the one who was sick to the point of death, he was distressed and concerned about the believers in his church, the Philippian church, because they had heard about his sickness and he was distressed about how they were distressed about him. So they were, they were all mutually concerned for one another. That Greek word distressed is only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was distressed over what was about to happen to him. And and his sweat turned into what looked like droplets of blood because he was so distressed. That's the same word uh, that, that, that Epaphroditus was feeling in that moment. I don't know about you, but when I'm really sick, I'm not thinking about anybody but myself. Okay? Don't bother me. Don't talk to me unless you're bringing me food, water, or medicine. When I'm sick, I want to be taken care of. I don't have time to think of others. Yet, even in Epaphroditus' darkest moment, he was thinking about his church family. As we're putting a bow on today's message, I think what we learned from these three men we looked at today, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, is that following Jesus and loving others is a call to sacrifice. You can't get around it. You can't go around the fact that the the call to follow Jesus, the call to be a disciple of Jesus is a call to sacrifice. Serving Christ will lead to being inconvenienced at times. You may have to stay up late from time to time talking to someone that is going through a difficult time. Your schedule may get interrupted by someone asking you to do something for the church. You will have to give up some things for Christ. Serving God will always cost you something, but it's always worth it. Serving Christ will always cost you something, but it's always worth it. 
Philippians chapter 2 is absolutely incredible. It's an incredible chapter. And as we're closing out chapter 2 today and we're moving on to chapter 3 next week, I want you to notice what Paul does throughout this chapter. In verses 3 and 4, he talks about how believers should live. Let me read that. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he lists real life examples of how people have walked this out, starting with Jesus himself in verses 5 through 11, and then Paul, and then Timothy, and finally Epaphroditus. They're all examples of someone who does nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but considers other, others better than themselves, looking out for the interests of others. These are all men who exemplified verses 3 and 4. And he starts with Jesus because it's only because of Jesus modeling this for us and the Spirit's power inside of us that we can live this out. Notice that each one he names lessons in importance, right? Jesus, of course, is most important because he's the Son of God. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Then Paul mentions himself. The Apostle Paul is a pretty important figure in the early church. Then he mentions his, his uh, successor, his son in the faith, Timothy, who was, who was a uh, he who was a minister and he was a, he, he was in ministry himself and he was pretty important but not as important as Paul. And then finally Epaphroditus. And from what we know, Epaphroditus was just a normal church member who saw a need and met that need and almost died doing it. I think Paul is trying to communicate to us that Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, that passage that I just read, That is for all believers, regardless of your importance, your authority, or your achievement. We are all called to put others' needs above our own needs. All of us, all of us, whatever whatever part we play in the body of Christ, whether we're the head or we're a pinky toe, whatever part we play, we're all called to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, to put others' needs above our own, to be about our Father's business, to to not do things out of selfish ambition and conceit. We're all called to walk in humility. We're all called to put others' needs above our own needs. You don't need a title to do this. You don't need to be a special believer to accomplish this. You don't need the spiritual gift of humility. We're all called to do this. We're all called to be obedient in this area of our lives. Whether you have a leadership role in this church or you just started with us, you are called to Philippians 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. We're all called to live in community like this, concerned for one another, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, that that we alleviate pressures and stress from one another, that we are distressed over one another, that we are truly and genuinely concerned about the welfare of each other. That's what we are called to be in this community. That's what we're called to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as servants of the Most High. So my prayer is that you glean from the Apostle Paul, that you glean from Timothy 
and that you glean from Epaphroditus. God bless you, and I hope God spoke to you. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.